Coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. It's the Faster Freedom Show. With your hosts, Sam Prim and Lucas Wolf. We talking about freedom? What's up, Prem? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. You sound great. I look great, too. Yeah, as man, usual. It's one of yeah. those things I look and sound and feel even more like an idiot than I usually do on oh, Fridays. Man. That's all right. Don't be so hard on yourself, buddy. Thank you. You know who I am going to be hard on? This guy. Tay-Tay. What's going on, Taylor Sons? How are you? What's happening, boys? Thanks for having me. We're excited, man. I feel like I have a celebrity on, on our show. So you're our first virtual guest in our relaunch Faster Freedom show. Honor. It That's is an honor. honor. It's also like if it screws up, we don't care. <laughs> that yeah, it's you. test dummy. All good. Yeah. I'm used yes. to that. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. So we're going to have a great show today. Um, I'll let Taylor introduce himself here in a minute. But Taylor and I uh, became friends uh, and started talking on social media probably like six, eight months ago, maybe. We've gone live probably a half dozen times, and uh, Taylor has a lot of really, really good insights on the market. Every time I talk to Lucas about like the stock market or finance markets, it's always just regurgitated conversations I've had with Taylor, <laughs> and I tell him to Lucas. So uh, it'll be a fun conversation. I'm like all in on real estate. Taylor's all in on like the markets. Uh, and Luke's is right in the middle. Well, we talked about this last we our last show, leverage other people's knowledge. Yes, right? I'm leveraging Taylor's knowledge <laughs> yeah. on a daily basis. So super excited to have you, Taylor. Before we get in, we are going to do a little icebreaker before you even introduce yourself uh, to the audience. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. All right, go ahead. Walls asking the first one. All right, man. These are just some pretty generic <laughs> icebreaker questions. All right. So first off, favorite and or most used emoji. Oh, definitely the crying one. I'm always laughing. I think everything's funny. Yeah. Do you do the sideways laugh or just the normal old school? Straight up and down. The sideways laugh is like if I'm rolling over my chair, I'll I'll hit the sideways. Yeah. You've never done a sideways one in our conversations. Yeah, because I'm always using the hand on face. Like, what are you saying, you monkey? Yes, yeah. that's true. Lucas says the same thing. <laughs> yeah, not 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 the most used co- emoji in your guys' conversation, like in general. Yeah, in ours. <laughs> our, and yeah, my general's the uh, hand, the face palm emoji, or like the I don't know no. emoji. Yeah. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> All right. So, what is uh, what is your phone wallpaper, and what's the story behind it on your phone, like your screensaver wallpaper on your phone? Uh, it's super boring, but uh, so important. I got my daughters on there, and my son is too young. Where. I think the little, little, little infants aren't necessarily as cute, so he hasn't made it to the wallpaper. True. Yeah. He's right. They're he's, right. He's just spitting facts. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're like kind of like mushy and like haven't like it's yeah. like lots of stuff swollen, but that's like normal and it's just they're just yeah. odd looking. Just odd looking. But yeah, once they get into that toddler stage, they start to become a lot, a lot cuter. Yeah. How old's your little boy? Uh, I guess he's about, he's not quite six months, maybe five months old, somewhere oh, yeah. in that ballpark. Still in that stage, for sure. Yep, he's, for he's sure. Still kind of yeah. ugly. All right, Luke, <laughs> that's the last one. All right, man, so uh, does your current car have a name? And maybe let's go back to your first car. What was it, and did that have a name? So I did call the first one Black Beauty. Oh. And you mind you, I didn't have a car for a long period of time. So I was like mid-20s. And I bought an old school side of the road used car dealership that you should never go to. Yeah. But it was a BMW and the thing was fire. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like that. We have a current... It was called fire, or you just think it was fire? Yeah. Oh, it was fire, man. It was black on the outside, like this cream on the inside. But as you get from a local roadside stand, a cheap car, it had some leaky oil issue that oh, I was yeah. didn't know what to do with. I think we've all been there. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. a Paul Wall song? Black on the outside, cream on the inside. I think that's uh, Dura. Chrome on oh, the outside, yeah. cream on the inside. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. NASCAR can stop. Yeah. I was close. <laughs> yes, he knows it. Yeah, we've listened to that song a lot in your basement, I remember. We did, yeah. yes. Uh, ice cream paint job. Ice cream paint yeah, job. I go. like it. That is awesome. Black Beauty, I love that. My current vehicle, one of ours, our son named it Black Beauty, so that's a great name, Taylor. You guys each Oh, that's what all the laughs were about. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's got a, he's got a, uh, his wife has a big, nice uh, Wagoneer, and uh, his son called it Black Beauty. What does your son call your car or your truck, Lucas? Uh, my truck is Rocky. What does he call your vet? Zoomer. Zoomer, nice. Yeah. Do you, you'll, you'll have a name for your, don't you have a Maserati? I sold the Maserati. Okay, nice. It's well, such a don't don't bring it up, man. That thing was uh, amazing. But at the same time, every guy, every time I got in the car, I just crossed my fingers like check engine light. Please don't come on yeah. because uh, the bill on this will be exorbitant. So sure. I sold yeah. the Maserati, I sold an Audi, and I got a Tesla. Nice. Guess who else just bought a Tesla? Recently? Your dad. My dad. Mm-hmm. Good for him, right? Got yeah. the Y. What model did you get, Taylor? I got the Model Three. Nice. And uh, the fast one. And it yeah. is, like, absurdly fast. Yeah, like, too fast. Like, doesn't need to be this fast. <laughs> Scary. My dad got in it. We went down and got it. And he's like, dude, stop hitting the gas. My stomach's turning. <laughs> it's like me driving Sam's Lightning. Yeah, it is. So what, what do you even call it? We talked about this the other day. What do you call it? It's not the gas. Yeah. The accelerator pedal? Because yeah. there's no gas going on. That's but. what I would call it, the accelerator. Oh. Yeah. Or the hammer. Yeah, we're, hit, we're the level hit the battery. Hit the battery. Yeah. Yeah, hit the, hit the battery. Awesome. All right, so. Now that we got that out of the way, thank you, everybody, for joining. Throw any questions you have in yeah, yeah. in the discussion chat box. We will get to them if there's any fun one. But all right, now that we're all that uh, goofiness out of the way, let's get into And again. I apologize for my voice. No, um, you sound good. Keep rolling with it, man. Let's get into uh, let's get into the topic. So, Taylor, um, I will let you introduce yourself, sir. We've done this a couple of times. Just let my audience, our audience that uh, doesn't know you, just kind of introduce your backstory a little bit, and we'll dig into it a little bit, just kind of the 30,000-foot uh, view of your upbringing and, you know, your, your life after college. Yep, after college. I went to college just outside of New York City, um, so kind of exposed myself to that Wall Street way of life, if you will, which was not at all reminiscent upon where I grew up. But uh, went to work on Wall Street. I was what they referred to as an advisor consultant. And so what that is is, like, they take educated people in finance and they take them and fly them around the U.S. to work with financial advisors. Now, the reality is a lot of financial advisors are salespeople, for lack of a better way of putting it. And so they actually don't have a ton of financial education, if any at all. And so they would bring clients in the door from their relationship skills, but then they didn't know what to do on the back end to actually invest the portfolios. So myself, my brother, who's my partner in the business, were like this traveling band of nerds who would go in and construct a portfolio for a financial advisor when they brought in a client that might have five, 10, 100 plus million dollars. So we did that for years, uh, 12 years, I guess I did it for. And then I said, listen, I'm in a hotel three, four nights a week. This is ridiculous. I'm about to start a family. Enough's enough. And then so we broke off and started Life Goal Investments. And there's been a couple different iterations of Life Goal Investments. But what we are is a financial advisory firm. So we're totally independent. We don't work for Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Raymond James. Nothing wrong with that. But we took the independent uh, approach so we could take kind of complete autonomy and do just what's right for the client, not worry about any corporate oversight. 
Very cool. So a little bit, we did a little digging on you. And aside oh. from all the times you've been in jail, we found out. Um, so when you were starting um, Life Goal Investments, it, it, what we hear on the internet is you had some of your um, former college football teammates kind of help you. Want to talk about that story a little bit, kind of bringing the, bring the team uh, beyond the team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my brother and I both played college football at Iona University, which actually uh, the program is so prolific, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, that's how that's how good we were. Um, yeah. So, no, when we launched Life Goal, though, we brought in some outside capital from folks. And the first people we went to were our college teammates. And they uh, a lot of them were like, dude, I don't need to know what this is. I'm in. Uh, and so uh, some of them needed a little more convincing than that. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, yeah, they helped fund the back end of the start of Life Goal Investments. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, Lucas. Uh, Lucas and I um, are really good friends with a lot of our high school teammates. Lucas played uh, basketball in college. I did not um, play anything college, but uh, yeah, that's a cool relationship you develop with uh, teammates in sports. We've done several episodes and conversations about the similarities between team sports and business and how you know a lot of that stuff is transferable and that's always that's always a, a cool co comparison to make. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, Taylor, I, I've heard of Iona. Like they're usually like that 15 seed on the uh, March Madness brackets that I that I picked to upset the two seeds. So did that they, ever work? So for they you? still have a basketball program, I assume. Yeah, they do. So Rick Pitino, who obviously is a famed college basketball coach, just left this past year. He went back to St. John's. Yeah. St. John's is in Queens, where he grew up. So that's why he wanted to do that. But uh, yeah, the, the the basketball program has been good for that mid major, if you will. Uh, they make the tournament every year. They get smacked every year. And uh, every year's a stretch. They don't make the tournament every year. When they win the MAC, the, the league they're in, they make the tournament, and uh, they've done yeah. that a bunch. Very cool. Very cool. Kent, I want to dig in a little bit on on the funding of the initial startup of your business. Was was that funds that you guys um, invested, uh, or was it they invested into you as a company, Taylor? Yeah, the latter. The latter. Okay. So it was investing into us as a company, into the launch of the business on the front end. So yeah, not capital like the folks that we work with now are folks that are wealthy and don't know what to do from an investment standpoint to create the portfolio they need. That's not what our teammates and, and, and former folks did. Uh, they literally funded the back end of the business. Okay, very cool. Yeah, that is cool. So um, you kind of explained it to me in our conversations, Taylor, that you feel like you got like the back end of, uh, of Wall Street uh, going and analyzing everything and seeing what people with $100 million, what they do and were able to construct and like kind of like um, – you know, make their portfolios as risk diverse and as, you know, however they wanted, however they wanted to be. And you take a lot of those strategies and you bring them down to people with 10,000, 20,000, $150,000. So do you want to talk about a little bit of the similarities you've seen and some of the, the advantages of being behind in these boardrooms with these ultra net worth individuals and how you're able to kind of cascade that down to the, the modern day people? Like you always talk, you grew up in a one red light town kind of people. Yep. Yeah. So when you rewind back to where I started on Wall Street, I worked at what are the big asset managers. So like my brother worked for BlackRock, which is the largest asset manager in the world. I worked for a company called Leg Mason, Lord Abbott, Franklin Templeton. All of them manage upwards of $750 billion. And so half our days there were spent with the folks that are building out mutual funds, ETFs, et cetera and deploying billions of dollars of capital and seeing why they're buying $500 million in mortgage-backed securities on a particular day and seeing the portfolio construction process. And then on the other end was when we were going out and working with high net worth individuals. 
And so we've constructed portfolios that are, you know, a million dollars. And then we've constructed portfolios that are literally the largest one I worked on was an endowment in the state of Kentucky, $468 million. Mm. And so the reality is when you look at things beneath the surface, yes, someone's risks might be a little different, but at the end of the day, portfolios all have the underlying same portfolio construction at the core of it. And then from there, whether someone wants to be more risk averse or more aggressive in their nature, then it gets tweaked along the way. But the foundation, the fundamentals of all portfolios are really similar. Mm, that's super cool. Is there a particular percent allocation on certain types of securities and whatnot that, that you would recommend setting up? Yeah, good question. So that's going to depend on someone's underlying need. So let's yeah. let's take a step back here. I'll, I'll kind of give you guys the foundation See, Taylor, of Taylor, Luke asked, Luke asked a lot smarter questions than I asked. You weren't prepared for those, were you? Uh, well, I'm about to I'm about to take that as a hanging curveball right now, Sam. That's an yeah, easy one. Smash it. <laughs> so think about this. Like everyone knows what stocks are. So stocks are you're going out and buying a piece of a company. Now, when you buy stocks individually or buy the S&P 500, doesn't matter. What's the big risk to owning stocks? The big risk to owning stocks is a recession at the end of the day. So in a recession, you're going to have the economy contract, corporate earnings could contract, and stock prices will come down. And again, no one really knows when the next recession is going to hit. But when you own a stock-based portfolio, that's the risk that you have to offset. So how do you go ahead and do that? Well, let's take one more step back and think about things from an economic mentality and say, if we enter a recession, the Federal Reserve, what do they do with interest rates? They cut them. And what they want is mortgage rates to go from 7% down to 3%, which stimulates people to go out and spend money in the economy. Now, conversely, let's talk about bonds now. So if we're thinking about in a recession, the Fed will cut interest rates as stock prices come down. Bonds have an inverse relationship with interest rates. So as interest rates get cut, it forces bond prices higher. Beautiful. There's your offset to stock market risk is owning a percentage of your assets in bonds. Now, a lot of people come to us and they say, hey, I own cash. There's my buffer for stock market risk. All right, cool. So think about this. As the stock market recedes in a recession, what does cash do? Nothing. It stays flat. In fact, it goes down in value a little bit. It doesn't technically. If you have $100 in a bank account, it'll retain that $100 stature. But what is the yield going to do as the Fed re-racks rates lower? Your savings account starts to pay less. So stocks don't, or I'm sorry, cash really doesn't buffer stock market risk. So bonds really do. And so there's your offset. So the last thing I'll say now is, okay, when you have stocks, you have bonds, is there an underlying economic backdrop where they both get beaten up at the same time? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is yes, that just happened in 2022. In 2022, inflation ripped, the Federal Reserve yanked interest rates higher, Stocks got smoked. The S&P was down 18. The NASDAQ was down 32. Bonds had their literal worst year ever. They were down 13%. So you're like, oh shit, now I have stocks and bonds getting smoked at the same time. What do I own that's going to help my portfolio? This is where you guys come into the equation. Things like real estate. Yeah. Real estate, hard, Boom. tangible assets go up in value when you have an experience where there's a massive inflationary pressure. So you invest in things like real estate, farmland, oil, gold, timber force, critical infrastructure. And those are the three components of a portfolio that help you protect against any piece of the economic scenario that can play out because no one has a crystal ball. When's the next recession coming? Bloomberg wrote an article 16 months ago 
They surveyed 112 professional economists. 112 of them said we'll be in a recession in the next 12 months. We're not. They're all yet. wrong. And and uh, re and a recession, and this is uh, how smart I am, recessions, one of those things you, you don't know until you're already in them. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Right? Yeah. See, I learned that from Taylor. You didn't know that, Lucas, did you? I think you've said that same thing like five days in a row. <laughs> yeah. I, that's fine. <laughs> you know it. I know so it. Might See, as well share it. And I'm still not that confident when leverage I say it. Leverage knowledge. Yeah, yeah, leverage knowledge. I'm still not even confident when I say it. I still kind of like, is like, that Where right? did you hear this? You caught on to it. Wherever I, you heard I heard it from him. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, awesome. So yeah, so having having a mixture and having yeah, a diversified that. portfolio is um, the right route for pretty much anybody. And um, you know, you talked a little bit about before about isn't there like a maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, but like a seventy thirty? Isn't there like a traditional like uh, split between the two between bonds and stocks? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so 70-30, 60-40 is the one that everyone talks about all the time. 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And uh, if you look on social media, man, 60-40 is like, hey, any idiot, 60-40, you're good. 60-40 got torched in 2022. Both yeah. sides of it. Worst year ever for a 60-40. Yeah. I don't think it's the worst year ever. I think there was one year in history that was worse, but it was damn near the worst year ever. So on the hard asset side of things, like maybe someone that's not um, experts in, in real estate like Sam and I, how are these people investing in real estate that you've seen that are maybe not experts in it? Yeah, so there are different vehicles that you can utilize to invest in real estate. Um, obviously, there are publicly traded REITs, which are the real estate stocks. And then there's also bonds that you can invest in on the real estate, commercial mortgage-backed securities, et cetera. Um, there's different people with different risk tolerances are uh, more predisposed to owning one of those versus the other. And in fact, in our portfolios, we don't own publicly traded REITs. We own a different version of it and in a different format that's a little bit less liquid. Um, so, so like, I'll give you a little bit more as opposed to beating around the bush. So where we buy real estate, we buy it in a fund that's called an interval fund. An interval fund has quarterly liquidity. So when you put your money into it, you can only access the money once a quarter. So think about the other side of this. If you buy an ETF that's publicly traded REITs, guess what happens? The ETF can be sold any day of the week. Yeah. And all of a sudden the manager's sitting there with these you know, properties essentially saying, oh boy, the ETF flows just went out the door. Now I have to fire sale this stuff back onto the market. And hopefully there's people like you two, Lucas and Sam, that are sitting there going, hey, I'll buy that from you. Yeah. Um, no, but in all reality, when you're buying a less liquid asset, you actually want to limit your own liquidity in the portfolio so the manager knows how much money they have to deploy and there's never that fire sale type opportunity. That makes sense. I like it. See, I some of that stuff I taught Taylor, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so let's get into, uh, let's get into um, one of your favorite asset classes, Taylor, um, uh, cryptocurrency. Um, so, uh, uh, what just happened recently, we, we, we witnessed it live here on, uh, recently with a uh, Bitcoin. So we were, you know, hanging out with, I think it was Wednesday maybe, or, or I think it was Wednesday, right? Probably. Uh, no, I think it was earlier in the week. No, Tuesday or Wednesday, but yeah. anyways, this one Bitcoin, you know, shot. 
Yeah, yeah. it shot from like 58 to 64,000, like literally in like a 45 minutes, and it was just going like straight up. And then, uh, you know, it was like 63,000, and I was looking at my portfolio because I own a, a few Bitcoin, and I was like, holy crap, it's going like crazy. And we were like joking, should I sell? I'm like, no, I'm not going to try and day trade. I'm just going to ride this out to zero or, 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 or a big number. And then Luke was in a meeting. He texted me, Bitcoin's at 64,000 now. I was like, holy shit. So I went to my um, Coinbase app, and it showed zero dollars, and it showed um, that you know the the app is having issues right now. You can't access your funds yeah. to sell or trade. And I looked, and Bitcoin had like dropped down to like fifty eight thousand. I was like, holy crap! So what happened was they call it rugged. I got rugged. I'm pretty sure that um, a lot of whales started buying up, buy, you know, buying it and driving the price up. Then all the public got in, and then all the whales sold at one time. It shot down, and in order to avoid a complete collapse. Coinbase and other platforms just stopped people from being able to even yeah. access their funds, and then it bottomed out and then went back up. But anyways, it was quite the ride. It's back up to where kind of where it was. But anyways, I was like, wow, that is looks so illegal and so manipulative. <laughs> but it's not. It's just like the GameStop thing, except it's not you know regulated, so you can do it. So anyways, yeah. that was what I saw from my end actually living it. What did you make of that, Taylor? Well, have have y'all seen? Uh, dumb oh, money. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. so good. No one so actually doesn't it got just in like bring from that. so many bells here. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> but this one is this one is I guess no one really got in trouble there. But this one is um, this one is it's not regulated. So like this kind of stuff happens. Like anyways. But I don't think anybody ended up going to like prison for uh, um, the uh, the GameStop st- scam. Is that is that correct, Taylor? I would imagine that's true because I, I don't think one. I don't know anything more than you do from watching yeah. the movie. That's right. my extent of my knowledge there, and I don't recall anyone being, you know, put in prison after that. Right, I agree. So yeah, what's your thoughts on the the what happened with Bitcoin this week and then uh, stopping trading and trading in some of the platforms? Yeah, it's, so I literally have no more information on Bitcoin than you guys do. So I get questions from my buddies like, "Hey, what do you think about Bitcoin?" I'm like. I, I don't know. Toss a coin. I, that my my information and knowledge base is going to be about as good as tossing a coin. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin, it's like, you know, when it comes to a company, you can look at the underlying fundamentals or a property. You guys can look at the underlying fundamentals and understand the cash flows, etc. When it comes to Bitcoin, at this point, there's there's nothing to actually tangibly put your hands on to understand what the value of it is. So I'm not also naive to the to the point that like. Sometimes people in the U.S. and, you know, big developed countries look at this and like, this is crazy. But I think you also have to look at it from the other perspective of like, and I don't want to be stereotypical and say sub-Saharan Africa, but that's what I'll say because you get the point of what I'm saying. In sub-Saharan Africa, if you're not confident in your own banking system, it's like, hey, why are we going to put our money here if we don't know it's going to be there? Whereas we can hold our value in Bitcoin and that being an underlying true fundamental need for them. So I think there are some needs out there in the Bitcoin world. I think in the developed nations, we haven't really seen what that tangible use case is. But I don't know. It's it's one of those things that institutions just got in. And so that could absolutely be a tailwind that could propel it and continue it higher. It's but but there's no downside gap measure on that where, you know, if if it starts to crumble, there's nothing underneath it. Hey, if this business crumbles, they own all of these assets. They at least have that tangible value. There's nothing there on Bitcoin, but also you don't have the upside momentum that you can catch like like in other companies like you can in Bitcoin. So it's a it's coin test. You can tell based on me waffling around this answer that I have no more information than you guys do on Bitcoin. No, I get it. I and, and a lot of this opinion and we've talked about it. I think you've kind of mentioned to me that, 
you know, if somebody's got enough money and they don't mind it going to zero potentially, uh, to throw a little bit in there, obviously don't have that be your retirement fund, don't have that be just as one of those potential upside things, which is what I've done, and it's stacked into a decent amount of money, but it's, I don't like, I'm not, like, honestly, I would like, if it goes up to enough, maybe I'll, like, buy a beach house with cash or something. Like, yeah. that's all, I'm not doing it for, like, anything to, like, retire or send my kids to college or anything. So, it's, it's, it's fun. I think that, I think it's going to continue to go up and down, up and down, and go up way higher than, than, um, than it has uh, in the past and continue to be a, a decent investment. But, yeah, it's always got that risk of, of going to zero and being manipulated. So, I don't, like, tell anybody to invest their, like, savings <laughs> in it, but uh, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to shoot you guys. I got an awesome text from my buddy of a YouTube video that's two minutes long. It's the Ford versus Ferrari movie. And it's like they're overlaying Bitcoin bro stuff on it. And so like at one point, Matt Damon steps to the edge of the edge of the track and he's talking to his guy in the Ford car and he's got a sign up. And I don't know what the sign says in the actual movie, but it says institutions are in, dude. And all of a sudden you see him shift gears and just start like around all the cars i just i was literally laughing out loud when i watched it speaking of institutions they're in one of the headlines this week is bitcoin etfs hit record volume as single day high of 612 million pours into blackrock so on thursday blackrock received a record 612 million um in bitcoin etf and crossed 10 billion in assets under management a day after the asset class hit a high of 7.7 billion in trading volume. Um, volumes reached 4.7 billion yesterday as the frenzy continues to track investors. So Yeah, I want to talk a little bit. So you can speak on the ETF side a little bit more than, you know, just general Bitcoin. So what are your thoughts on all that? Because, Taylor, we've had some chats before. It was one of those things where this was looking to get approved, and it was one of those old, you know, you, you, you buy the rumor, sell the news. Like, it went up, and as soon as, as, soon as it, like, officially was approved, which everyone knew it was, everything it, it dropped pretty substantially so that was one of those sayings that uh, i learned from taylor as well you buy the rumor you sell the news that's an old wall street adage yeah um no it's interesting so one of the things that maybe the end public doesn't really know at this point is also these things haven't been turned on yet at the wirehouses and the wirehouses are so merrill lynch morgan stanley wells fargo ubs those are considered wirehouse firms the biggies they are not able, their financial advisors are not able yet to purchase them in their client accounts. So that's another like big thing that people are weighing on to say, hey, when the wirehouses start piling, man, you could see these ETFs ramp higher, buying more and more Bitcoin and sending it higher. Um, and, and again, this might be one of those things that's buy the rumor, sell the news too. Like a lot of the smart money in the Bitcoin space knows that's gonna be the case um, and are pricing accordingly. But nonetheless, you should see, um, an influx of, of buying on those ETFs based on that. Um, can you explain, um, and you do this to me a while ago, so I understand it. Can you explain kind of the public um, what like an ETF is and how like Bitcoin's its whole thing on Coinbase and all these Robinhood, all these other like platforms, and now it's an ETF through like, you know, bigger firms. So can you kind of explain how that process works that Bitcoin it has became an ETF and kind of what ETFs are? Yeah, so ETF is not, or, you know, Bitcoin is not a traditional ETF. Essentially, I, I'm not going to do this justice, but an ETF is just is simply a way to access something so you're not going out and buying it on cold storage and things like that, or going through some knockoff, you know, exchange firm that is, I don't know, so Coinbase isn't knockoff at this point, but you get the point of that. Um, what this does is leaves it readily available 
on the New York Stock Exchange. So anyone that owns any type of trading account, whether it's Schwab, Vanguard, whether it's at these big firms, they all can access it without opening a separate Coinbase type account to go ahead and buy it in that direction. So it just provides a higher level of accessibility. Okay. And then the Bitcoin just got approved through the SEC to be an ETF. So I guess that's just a process of the SEC looking at the fund. Like how, how does that, because not everything can get approved to be an ETF, correct? Yeah. Next time we're going to talk all about Bitcoin. Give me some context so I can do a little work on we're this before just coming on. We don't know anything about Bitcoin either. So you could literally <laughs> just make something up and we would not know. And still, your thoughts on Bitcoin compared to like the general population is probably, you know, much more well thought out. So uh, we appreciate whatever, whatever uh, angle you could give us here. Yeah. Yeah. So reiterate that last question to me real quick here. Um, so just in general, I just don't even know the process of like Bitcoin being approved as an ETF. I don't even know what that statement oh, gotcha. means that yeah. or that. Yeah. Yeah. So normally when you launch an ETF, what it does is goes through SEC regulation. And so what they do is they have every ETF has a board of directors that looks at the underlying risks of the holdings, et cetera, and says, OK, this is sufficient risk metrics these has the bright bells and whistles on it to defend the underlying clients that buy it. I don't know that that's all that pertinent to Bitcoin. The big difference in Bitcoin and what the new ETF versus the old ETF is that the old ETF was not the spot price. So literally right now, the exact price of Bitcoin is accessible in an ETF. Now, my huge underlying question is, does that really make that big of a difference than what the past ETF accessibility was where it was buying Bitcoin, you know, not at spot price. And I don't know, it's still access to, to Bitcoin. It's just this is a little bit more of an efficient vehicle and giving you specifically what today's price is. The other did a good job of that, admittedly, but it may have been fractionally off mm -hmm. on how much it went up. If Bitcoin went up 5%, maybe it went up 4.95% or something really close. With the volatility and the magnitude of move in Bitcoin, I don't know that that minute differential is that big of a difference, but this is a momentum. This is a rumor based asset because there's no underlying fundamentals to it. So if the rumor mill starts picking up, Reddit starts picking up, all these folks start getting involved. Now the institutions are involved too. Listen, smart money, big time money. They get FOMO too. They got FOMO yeah. right now and they're propelling this thing higher. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. So we can we can stop with yeah. The let's stop to Bitcoin, but let's uh, yeah. Uh, other side of financial market. Let's just talk about the stock market in general here, Taylor. What you know, S and P is up about five percent in the past week. Uh, S and P five hundred about almost eight percent year to date, and in the last year the S and P is up thirty percent. Tell us, Ooh. tell us what is going on with the stock market right now and. You know, is this just uh, this this pie in the sky thing that's going to all come crashing down or is this uh, going to continue throughout the year in your in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good question. And again, I'll, I'll resort to the fact that I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll give you some explanations and some thoughts from my end. So last year, you kind of hit this environment that I'll refer to as like Goldilocks from an economic standpoint. So you had inflation continuing to drift downwards. And you had economic growth that outperformed meaningfully what the market expectations were. And so therefore companies, profits, balance sheets, et cetera, really benefited. And you had the S&P 500 for the year of 2023 up 
Now, granted, it was on the backs of a year where it was down almost 19%. So it had some catching up to do from what it had lost. Um, but at the end of the day, it was something that not many folks were anticipating. And again, that Goldilocks scenario is what played out last year. Inflation down, economic growth positive. That's really good for stocks. Now, just for context, the stock market is expensive right now. And that's not my opinion. That's looking at the data. So the way you measure how inexpensive or expensive stocks are is a, is a, a metric. There's lots of them to look at. But the main one that people look at is called a price to earnings ratio. So it looks at the S&P 500 and it says for every dollar that companies in the S&P 500 produce on earnings, how much is the market paying for that dollar worth of earnings? So historically, for context, it's right around 15 or $16 for every $1 worth of earnings. Right now, it trades at $20.4, $20.40 for every $1 worth of earnings. And for context, that puts us in about the top 10 percentile most expensive stocks get throughout history. Now, valuation is awesome because it gives you a really good idea. Apples to apples are stocks more expensive than they were in 1929 and 1958, 1932, whatever. So it's a great way to look at things on an apples to apples basis. And when things get expensive like stocks are now, there is a tendency for them to revert back to the mean. That being said, it is a terrible timing mechanism. It's not to say things are going to revert back to the mean right now. In 1999, when we had this euphoric dot-com bubble that was building and building and building, the Federal Reserve Chairman, a guy named Paul Volcker, I'm sorry, Alan Greenspan, Alan Greenspan said in 1996, a famous quote, the market is irrationally exuberant. That was in 1996. And the price to earnings multiple is similar to where it is right now at 20-ish times earnings. It went to almost 40 times earnings in 1999. So he said three years before that people are crazy and it continued to get more and more crazy. The market went on a moonshot for the next three years as people were crazy, but people made a lot of money. And then in 2000, 2001, 2002, the market melted for three straight years and the dot-com bubble burst. And so again, it's not to say that valuations are, hey, if, if stocks are expensive right now, that all of a sudden the house of cards is gonna come crashing down. But you do need to start thinking about in the future, returns being more muted based on expensive stocks. And I'll give you one more set of statistics and I know I'm rambling right now. Historically, the S&P 500 does 10-ish percent a year over the long term. When stocks are priced at 20 times earnings, where they are right now, over the next five years, at that given starting point, the S&P 500 has produced about a 4% per return per year. So that kind of tells you going forward in the future right now, stock returns should be thought to be more muted than they have in that 10% average number that everyone throws through. Nope. Yeah, would you would you think that is from like a, a, another bull run of a couple of years after that 20 times earnings and then followed by uh, a, a decline in, in prices and that kind of averages to that for you think? Or is it just like kind of muted along the way? It's, it's a good question. No one really knows the answer to that, but the stock market doesn't work in linear fashion. So it's not like, hey, the next five years, it's going to 4%. It's going to be 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%. That doesn't work that way. Yeah. In all likelihood, what you'll have is the stock market do well or not do well. And at some point, you probably get a meaningful drawdown. And then it hits you know more normal numbers on a forward-moving basis. And on the average, it's 4%. So there's a great line. There's a great writer in the financial space called Morgan Housel, named. He's not called. That's his name. Morgan Housel. <laughs> Morgan Housel breaks things down into like 
really tangible bites. He's got a great book called The Psychology of Money and then a second book called Something's Never Changed. No, I'm not promoting this. I don't even know Morgan, but it's just really good writing. And he recently was on a podcast and I heard him say this, smart investing is preparation through investing, not prediction. And his point to that is like, if you look at the last three major market meltdowns we've seen, the last one was COVID. Who could predict that? The one before that was 2008. I a little bit disagree with this one. But in 2008, he said, listen, if Bear Stearns could have bought Lehman Brothers, which the regulators didn't allow to happen, that meltdown would not have been the same as what we experienced. And the regulators said no, stupidly. And the one before that was 2001 when a plane, you know, planes hit the Twin Towers. Those are things you can't predict. So don't predict how you invest. Prepare, because what's gonna happen that's gonna drive the market up, down, or sideways are things that you can't foresee. Yeah, so you you would not consider what happened in 2002, I'm sorry, 2022, to be a major meltdown. It, to me, it looked like it was on the tech side, especially where we saw like 50%, 50% 60% declines in some of these large tech stocks. And how is was that relatable at all to what happened in the early 2000s? Because we, you know, we were in middle school at that time, so we didn't know what the heck was going on. So um, I still don't know tech's going on. Guys, yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hope hopefully that rounds out that question for you, Taylor. <laughs> I just can't get over the glasses. <laughs> My future's bright. Um, um, yeah. So back to your question of like 2022. I think 2022 was largely a function of 2020 and what happened to COVID. Okay. So what happened with COVID was, you know, the coffers were opened. Everyone got stimulus checks. Interest rates were cut down to nothing. They were held at zero for a really long period of time. And then you had kind of another unforeseen Russia invade the Ukraine, yep. causing inflation to spike seemingly overnight. Right. And inflation was building a little bit via the COVID stimulus and fiscal stimulus that came along with it and monetary. And so that was already building in that direction. And then when Russia invaded Ukraine, another completely unknown, unpredictable, boom, inflation takes off. And that's what caused the meltdown in 2022. And the other thing that caused the meltdown in 2022 was the euphoric run that happened post COVID in 2020 and 2021. This was the last time Bitcoin was where it is right now. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm not, I'm not, portending what's going to happen in the future here of a, of a meltdown in, in Bitcoin like it like it experienced back then. But this is when people start sending you text messages about things. Hey, you know, Steph's getting hot. He's bombing threes. Yeah. Like start to pay attention, like start to at least red, raise red flags. I'm not saying go and blow out of everything. It's, hey, protect things. Yeah. And you do that. There's ways to do that in the investment universe that people need to be aware of. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the real estate world when everybody and their brother wants to flip a house and they think it's cool, then that's usually the time that we're like, wait a second, something's going on here. <laughs> exactly. All right. So so two things. One, Taylor, every time Luke's asks a question, you say good question. Every time I ask a question, you laugh. Moron. I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but let me give you both my theory um, and you guys can rip it apart on why um, – why the, the, the general economy and stock market, and maybe it's a theory that's out there, I'm sure it is. Um, but is it, could it be, there's other factors, but could it be almost as simple as 
there was 80% of the history of the U.S. dollar was dumped into the U.S. economy in a very short period of time. 80% of the history of the dollar that's ever been printed. They just printed so much money through stimulus, through PPP, through um, all of these things that that money has to go somewhere. It just uh, The fact that there was so much of it there, some of it is going to bleed over to the stock market. Some of it is going to bleed over to other investments that are going to not artificially push it because it's real money going in there. But there, you see what I'm trying to say? Is that part of it? The fact that just so much money got dumped into the pot it's going to bleed out into other things and make investments look good is do you think there's some of that into it no doubt yeah there's a, a good statistic. question by sam that's all i'm gonna say good. yeah good <laughs> question <laughs> you're right i have said that every time that is su totally subconscious that's just because i keep looking at you wearing those glasses and going what is going on here i don't blame you at all <laughs> So there's a statistic, good question. Uh, there is a statistic that you can stare at called M2, which looks at money supply, how much money is being put in circulation. And there is a really good overlap between M2, how much money is being spilled into the market and asset returns. And it doesn't matter whether you're looking at real estate, whether you're looking at stocks, any assets, there is a heavy correlation between the two. And now what we're seeing a little bit is just, and again, I'm not trying to create this scary scenario, is M2 is slowing down, M2 has gone negative. And so that comes with, listen, banks aren't lending as much anymore. When banks aren't willing to lend and fictitiously create money, and I don't mean that in a bad way, that's what they're doing, is they're going out and creating money for folks to go out and spend in the economy. Right now, banks have tightened the old strap. And so they're not as willing to lend and things like that. The Federal Reserve went from putting money into the economy to sucking money out of the economy with raising rates and also with their quantitative easing, now quantitative tightening process. And so all of those things you know, took liquidity, to your point, out of the market. And to your point, there is a very heavy correlation between asset prices and liquidity. If you were to invest based on one thing, Sam, that would not be a dumb approach. Nice. All right. I like Good it. Work. Good for me. Um, yeah, proud of you. Yeah, so I, I took piggyback off that a little bit, Taylor. Banks are tightening the strings a little bit, but also the interest rates are making it less appetizing to borrow money. Like Lucas and I, if um, and it's a good thing because of kind of what we're just how quickly we grew. We're we're dealing with some. That's a whole nother episode of all the growing pains we're dealing with for buying twenty five million dollars in real estate in thirteen months and how how much we're dealing with the fallout of that. But um, in general, uh, it's like harder. Like we don't borrow as much money because the deals don't make as much sense. We're not buying apartment complexes. We're not buying as many as many big assets because it costs us eight percent as a, it used to cost us four percent and it won't cash flow anymore so there's the bank tightening but also the the investor tightening of hey deals don't make sense when money costs as much so there's that side yeah. of it as well yeah i mean that's 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 half the half the reason behind why houses aren't turning over these days because people can't yeah. afford to do it you guys know this space better than i do the one thing i'm interested in seeing is and you guys can uh you know pontificate on this as well if you have any thoughts is Historically, when you look at um, mortgage rates, they're set off of where the 10-year treasury bond is. So the 10-year treasury bond right now yields 420. There you go for your glasses, 420. It's um, about where, where uh, the 10-year treasury is. And usually there's 130, and 100, 130 to 160 basis point spread, spread yeah. which would put, you know, a percent and a half on on 420. So you're at 570. You guys know mortgage rates are significantly above that right now. And I'm talking about residential here, not on yeah. investment real estate like you guys are purchasing. So that would say if 10-year is here 
that the average 30-year mortgage that an individual buying a home for a primary residence would be would be right around 575, somewhere in that ballpark. Right now, it's meaningfully above that. And one of the reasons that's taking place is because banks are trying to measure their risk. Lending institutions are trying to measure their risk. And with interest rates having been so darn volatile because inflation's been so darn volatile, what they need to do is build in a bigger layer of safety there. And they're not going to take that risk on their book. They're going to push that through in pricing. And there's a wider spread than historically normal. And so as interest rates settle in and as inflation, we get a better beat on where it's going to be in the future. You should see some compression there, I hope. And I hope to see mortgage rates come down for folks. And you guys would obviously love that as well, right? Yeah, that would open up the floodgates a little bit. I think Lucas talks about this. In in 2023, there was less real estate transactions than in 08. That tells you how suppressed the market was and the market wasn't turning over as far as just a transactional basis. So that, that tells you how 2023, the pricing, um, you know, has, has been pretty good for most markets. But as far as on a how many houses were sold basis, it was it was less than 08, which is pretty crazy to think about because interest rates are higher and, you know, people don't want to leave their 4%, 3% interest rates. For sure. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead Taylor. Go ahead, Taylor. Yeah, I, I have a buddy who says, listen, there was a, there was a recession or a depression in real estate you just didn't realize it it wasn't in the price of homes it was in the transactions absolutely and a company like ours which is highly transaction focused uh you know we definitely felt it last year no doubt yeah we went from 312 houses uh in 2022 uh to last year 170 yeah so i mean still a lot of houses but man that's you know that's a 40 percent drop in transactions yeah fortunately our price our profit per deal was double what it was yes. but still it's just a a big a big a big drawback on transactions for sure for sure that that spread that you talked about taylor that's something we watch you know on a on a daily basis probably prob- probably and our our thought thought process is very very similar to yours is uh we're hoping that margin compress as interest rates from the the federal government haven't or sorry from um uh, the 10-year the haven't, haven't uh, I'm sorry, where am I going with this? Uh, hopefully that spread goes down yes. here as as interest rates kind of stabilize, right? Uh, so they don't even have to drop. You just have exactly. to not, you know, they just have to not predict a the future. They just have to have a better feeling of where they're potentially going. You know, they're not going to go up anymore. They might not go down, but as long as they're going to stay For where sure. they are, we can compress our spread a little bit and, and take the risk out and, and do more deals because they're not going to do as and many we, deals we, until they compress it. And we haven't had a raise since July, yeah, I, think, I so. think, of 23. And we just got quality core inflation data this week. We just got good, quote unquote, um, uh, job reports this week. So um, just just talking to you, Taylor, here, and obviously I would love your thoughts, Sam. Love I'm ready, your thoughts. Lucas. Um, you know, what, what do you think the uh, what do you think this looks like for, um, you know, maybe maybe what the federal government is going to do with with interest rates uh uh, as as we're seeing quality inflation reports come, are they going to try to get ahead of it and start start rate cuts sooner rather than later? Uh, especially with like what we're seeing in Bitcoin and these hot financial markets on top of that. Yeah, I've Don't been in the camp. Good question. All right, good, you didn't. Okay, good sorry. question. No, that's an amazing question. Oh, shut up. Amazing question. Um, yeah, I, I've been in the camp for a long time now that we aren't going to get as many cuts this year as what the market anticipated. Um, so the market was saying, you know, three months ago that we were going to get six to seven interest rate cuts this year. And I'm looking at it going, listen, 
they're still talking about scares of inflation and potentially rates going higher. So I thought that that was crazy. Um, but on the other end, one of the things that's a huge component, and I'm interested to hear your guys' firsthand experience with this, one of the things that's a huge input component, the largest by far, is owner equivalent rent to all the inflation metrics. And it keeps going higher. And then when you look at some of the other indicators of this, like Redfin and Zillow put out their information on rents, and they're actually seeing rents come down a little bit and have now for the past five, six months, but it hasn't bled through to what the Fed measures with this owner's equivalent rent. And so a lot of the forecasters are saying that, listen, this is coming through the system. That housing or shelter component of it is going to leak down. It hasn't done so yet. And if it does, that's going to bring the inflation metrics that the Fed looks at very closely down along with it. So um, if that's the case and that starts to play out more quickly, which it hasn't yet in the data they look at, then that will give them a little bit of uh, solace to go out and then cut interest rates maybe more quickly than what they're anticipating at this point. Yeah. So Taylor and I have had this talk for a while now, you know, via our lives that everybody got a little bit uh, bullish on what they thought the rates were. There's, there's very, very uh, unlikely scenario that rates were going to be cut how people were predicting. Plus, we had completely opposing um, predictions, right? We had people predicting, I think, Taylor, you can quote if I'm wrong, a 12% a um, growth in the, in, econ in the economy, yet also six or seven price drops. And th they both can't happen at the same time. In order for the, for the interest rates to go down, that would mean you, we wouldn't have to have big earnings. If we have big earnings, they're not going to drop rates. And, and that's what's played out so far. Good earnings, no rate drops. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit uh, of that amazing question I just had? You listen well. You listen well. I'm impressed. Um, I will twist your words a little bit um, and say that you're almost spot on in saying that corporate earnings were the expectations okay, to grow 12%. And so with that, again, you can't measure corporate earnings being up 12% or you can't write the ship and say, yeah, that makes sense. But at the same time, on the other side, the Fed thinks they need to stimulate the economy. And so what's happened is corporate earnings have been pretty darn good. Um, and I will caveat and say that when you look beneath the surface, I think they've been not quite as good as what the market has uh, responded to. But nonetheless, um, NVIDIA, you know, that was the only one anyone cared about. I've never seen in my career so much focus on one company's earnings as I did on NVIDIA. And literally, wow. it monumentally moved the entire market the yeah. day after earnings. Like it moved the, the market cap of NVIDIA by something like $250 billion. That's crazy. That's larger than Target. That's yeah. larger than the company of Target in one day. Yeah. And so like, it's just crazy how much yeah. it moved, but that was yeah. like the epicenter of yeah. focus. But back to your point, Sam, which was an amazing point, was you could not get 12% corporate earnings growth and also six or seven interest rate cuts. It just, the math doesn't work. Well, don't hate on our target. We own some target here at uh, Prosper Companies, but uh, um, <laughs> what I was getting at is the magnitude I, of the I move, know. the corporate, the, the, the addition of valuation on NVIDIA yeah surpassed the that, entire value of the company of target that that happened with meta uh a Correct. month or two ago as well Correct. it was a very similar couple billion couple hundred billion dollar jump in one day yeah it, it's nuts yeah we so we have a I, we talked a little bit taylor we have a, a certain investing company to in, invest in and in, in markets and potentially companies and things with some of the prop from our companies and one of the things we do is you invest in the markets a little bit and when target kind of stepped in it from a publicity standpoint um uh, several months ago and their price went down we went ahead and bought some so yeah we we think decisions 
Uh, Not me. <laughs> my, my, myself and uh, Phil Blackwood, who's our uh, one of our analysts here. He's, he's more real estate focused, but we read The Intelli- Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. So you're and we you're good. We're, we think we're experts. You're so good. Yeah, we're not and like, we, we're and not, we use his like stock picker that uh, that book provides. I mean, we probably like bought five grand yeah. of, of, of Target stock when it was down, right? Or more. Uh, maybe I 10. I don't know where my money goes, but anyways, um, I trust Lucas, so we're all good. So yeah, um, so that, so yeah, so that is just interesting, and a lot of it's um, played out to where there's the extremes on either side of things, and and through our conversation, Taylor, I know you're more of like, yeah, most likely things are in the middle as as far as the predicted um, corporate earnings as well as the rate cuts. It's, nobody has a, a you know a crystal ball, but. I don't know that I'd pre- even predict a rate cut at the next meeting, but I, I could see I one or two. In March. I, I, I could see in March. No. if I, if you force me to predict, I'd that's predict one month. or two rate that's cuts crazy. this year. Uh, that that's what, what would you predict, Luke? I, again, we know that we're just in, guessing. In the, these cuts that we're talking about, they're going to be so minor. Quarter, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So um, I could see if we keep having quality um, reports come back like we had this past week, uh, I uh, month over month over the next two months, I could see it in May being a first like quarter point, half point personally but. what are you seeing taylor i mean again we know you're guessing what do you what are you guessing yeah i i think that i'm in i'm in your camp sam one to two so here's here's the interesting thing right now the market's moved from six to seven interest rate cuts to three that's what's being priced in this year that's what the expectation is and the stock market has continued to go up and so when you rewind back to last year the market started to rip in october because October 31st, I think, was when the Fed met and the Fed said, hey, we think we're done with interest rate cut or interest rate hikes and we probably won't need to do any more. So the market said, oh, boy, here we go, baby. Interest rate cuts coming. We'll price in six or seven of them. And that took the market up like 14 percent in the fourth quarter. And now the interesting thing is like, OK, fast forward. We've taken three or four of those off the table and the market continues to do this mm-hmm. like. Why, why is this a one-way street where it's really good when there's more interest rate cuts starting to get jubilant in the market, but when you take them back off, doesn't matter, whatever, it's let's still keep good, rolling. Right? Yeah, that, that's what we <laughs> talked about. A lot of the fundamentals don't make sense with what's going on in the market. That's why a lot of your videos haven't been trying. You're not painting this like this this doomsday scenario, but it's just like, hey, be observant of what's going on. This is a little bit uncharted territory. There's always every single year is new because there are different factors, right? There, you can't ever prepare compare year over year. But like, there's just some funky stuff going on, and not saying it's going to drop off of a cliff, but this is an odd time we're in right now. Things don't always make sense. Yeah, and I'll say this part too, like. Soft landing is the narrative right now, right? Soft landing is going to play out. That's what the market's saying. It's always soft landing when you go into recession. They're always talking soft landing. And there have been very few times when we've been able to effectively navigate a soft landing. And everyone thinks it's a foregone conclusion that it'll happen this time. And it very well could. I'm not saying it's not. But 1994 is about the only time in history where you could see inflation pick up, the Fed raise interest rates to track it down, and effectively not enter us into a recession. Mm. So we'll, we'll see. It certainly could play out. But, uh, you know, if you're betting on history, I wouldn't bet on a soft landing per se. And it's not to say if we do go into recession, it has to be this bloodbath like it was in 2008. Like that was a nasty recession. It felt yeah. like the world was literally crumbling. Our financial system started to have massive question marks as to whether all of the banks that were going to go under. Wachovia got bought by Wells Fargo. It was a massive bank at the time, and yeah. it needed a bailout. Warren Buffett steps in and bails out Goldman Sachs, the institution of them all. And so it's not to say it needs to be like that, but for us to just say, hey, things are going to be steady as she goes, 
I, I, I think that um, there needs to be some reality in the fact that history doesn't indicate our ability to navigate these interest rate hikes without some sort of mild recession coming on the back. For sure. Yeah, I get that. And, and you know, we're, we're business owners here and we're also in real estate, but just I just know what it felt like at, you know, late 22 through mid 23 and it, and it freaking hurt you know what i mean it was it was painful so for for people to tell me that wasn't a recession is is that you're lying like that was a recession for us, for yeah, our, like. yeah we got kicks we got quick kick square in the nuts we lost several hundred thousand dollars in our company you know in yeah. all of our companies over that period um luckily we have multiple companies but yeah it was it was bad like and if you look at just the median house price from whatever the height was to what it you know what it dipped down to it dropped like 75 yeah. grand and um you know from whatever that that and that was the biggest like price drop ever even through 08 in that period yeah. of time and i get it was on a higher number so the percentage i don't even know the math but that chart is insane yeah. after the median house price after 2020 and then a complete uh, you know what's the opposite of rip went all the way down and then it up and then it's back down again so yeah, yeah. The, the real estate uh, market and fewer transactions so i guess not everybody felt it but it right really and, and it comes hard. in different shapes and sizes depending on your industry or type of business or all that but uh we definitely felt a lot of a lot of pain uh on the back side of this when they started to raise rates yeah for, for sure that was back to your inflation comment before lucas is like as as we've seen median household or median median houses come down in price, that would lead you to believe that rents have to come down a little bit too, yeah. and that has not leaked through into that inflation data, which is what we were talking about before, which alludes to you potentially being right, where more interest rate cuts could be in the future than what's expected. Yep. Cool. I like it. All right. Let's. Start. We're gonna. We're gonna get to. Uh, we got a few more minutes. Then we're gonna get to some uh, ending questions. And then yeah. we're gonna play. Would you rather? Which is a fun game. The w we have more questions for you. But the one thing I kind of want to do get into, which is interesting, is. Um, Thoughts on the uh, the economy over in China. I know we had talks before uh, in China. We had talks before about um, <laughs> you know that ever they they were shut down through COVID, like locked you know locked them down, and then they released everybody, and it did not that we were wrong. Everybody predicted this huge surge, and that did not happen. They built China has built like hundreds of thousands of buildings and dwellings that nobody's occupied, um, and there's there's just a lot of issues potentially going over there their their financials do not look very good right now from what i have seen so taylor you're much more in tune in that so could you give us a little bit of your thoughts on a kind of where the chinese market has been recently how their real estate bubble is kind of fitting into that and then what that kind of means in the future in you know you're just through your potential lens yeah um good question sam um <laughs> on the on the front of of china no it's been it's been interesting because everyone expected this massive surge, the huge positive blowback from China of when they started to release their lockdown, this and that, everyone gets out and starts yeah. spending like they did here in the States. Um, that didn't play out. And so China is now experiencing something like a 2008 for us, where you had massive overbuild in real estate. And now the real estate market hit that tipping point and started to come plummeting down on the other side. And Chinese by culture, they have a tendency to own more of their wealth in real estate than in maybe investments, if you will, um, more traditional investments like the stock market, et cetera, 401ks here in the United States. And so they're predisposed more so to a downturn in real estate prices than we are here in the States. And so when they started to hit that tipping point, real estate market started to roll over, Evergrande and some other huge, huge, huge real estate companies started to literally go under 
it hit that tipping point. And China is now absolutely, quote, you know, created a blowout on the bottom side of their stock markets. And what's interesting from like an investment standpoint, not to go too far off the rails here, but China is an emerging market. And so emerging markets kind of get grouped together. And so the big emerging markets are the BRICS that everyone talks about, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. But like India's economy is actually doing pretty darn well right now. And because they're grouped as an emerging market that has this massive downward pressure based on China's economic news, they're seeing a sell off in some of their things that are unwarranted just because they're grouped into that nature. And so there's some really good investment opportunities in mm -hmm. India. And the Indian uh, ch uh, stock market has actually been able to buck some of that trend and go up. But I think it would have gone up much more had it not been that downward pressure from China. And there might be some opportunity there. Yeah, and, and we talked about this a little bit. Everyone talks about the U.S. debt. China's debt to GDP percentage is, is worse even than the U.S. debt, right? I'm, I'm not was quoting that, correct, Taylor? China, yeah, China's found themselves in a debt issue as well. Um, and, and it's just a different economic mentality there. You know, large companies can be partially state-run. It can be partially private. Um, from just a business regulatory standpoint, we think it's bad here in the States. And, you know, if you want to go out and build a new building, there's so much red tape and stuff like that. If you speak out against the Chinese government, Jack Ma, the owner of Alibaba, literally disappeared for three months. And people were like, hey, he spoke out against Xi Jinping. He might be dead. No, and that's what the assumption crazy. was. And then he resurfaced five months later and he looked skinny as a rail. Um, so that is the difference. We might think that uh, things are onerous and and uh, we can't talk about bad things in our in our own society. It's uh, freedom of speech is a little more serious here than it is over there. Yeah, I was on a, a quick quick story. I was on a podcast with a guy who's lived in uh, Taiwan for the past thirty years. He grew up in the states. He was in California. He was in the tech uh, tech industry, and he was out there. And he's like. The one thing noticed from living there and living abroad, like no country takes freedom of speech like the United States. Like there, you like you guys think that there's this like you know you can't say certain things and there's backlash. No, compared to what other countries do, what you talk about China with uh, the Russia. Um, what's that gentleman's name? We Alexei. Alexei with literally it appears that Putin had him killed in jail because he was maybe going to beat it. Like it's like we're I know the U.S. isn't perfect, but uh, there's nowhere I'd rather be. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's like that. Uh, Shane Gillis, he, yeah. he, he like he, uh, you love like, Shane Gillis. Oh, he's you're, you're, so he's not even gonna be able to tell the story, fucking Taylor, because he's just I gonna won't. he can't tell a Shane Gillis story without laughing a million it's, times in the middle of it. This one's not like super funny, but he talks about like why United States is the best. He's like, uh, I get off the airport and he's like, Poof. he's like, this is your country. He's like, this sucks, dude. He goes, I've been to three countries. It's official. We're the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I would agree. Taylor and I have that talk a lot. The, yeah. Not the best, but. The economy, the underlying, uh, uh, you know, our fundamentals and the military, we're, we're in a good spot. All right, so let's get some ending questions, and then would you rather? So I know you probably hate this question, but um, you're getting the money. You're not, get, you're not telling me what to do with my money. So these are three questions we ask at the end of each one. If I gave you $10 million right now, what would you do with it? I would invest it in a diversified manner. Okay. You wouldn't like go buy a house, pay off your car. You, you, you just would. Oh, oh you're saying you're saying what would I do with the money I'm personally? You 10 million. Yeah, I'm I'm giving you personally ten. So again, this is a question for you, so you can answer it. I'm giving you ten million dollars cash. What would you do with it? Yep. So the first thing I would do because I've wanted to do this buy a golf cart. My community would be awesome if everyone had golf carts. So there you go. Bang. So you you I'll, would buy I'll, golf carts for your whole community? Is well, that what he, I heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, if you're giving me ten, I'll, I'll buy all my friends' golf carts. You, We've got like four or five little families. We can I've all roll around in golf carts. It'd be you, amazing. You live in like uh, big trees and mansions and castles and stuff. You all can afford golf carts out there. 
Okay, Frugal so is sexy, there, Sam. Frugal is like sexy. There's like 70 grand, Taylor. What, what about the other <laughs> 9.9 I'd be boring, dude. I don't need anything else. I'd, uh, I guess I'd try to uh, like take a vacation maybe. That would be yeah. it. Then I'd, then I'd vest the rest in a diversified manner like a total sure. nerd. Well, what is God, what would be that dork. diversified manner? Kind of what you talked about at the beginning of the show, Taylor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would be – Jesus, don't make me say all this boring stuff again. No, Stocks, bonds, it, alternatives, all of it would be invested. So that, we let it go, and now I'd be able to retire 10 years earlier. You'd 60-40 yeah. it. And, man, imagine if you used that $10 million to buy a $50 million apartment complex, you'd be set for life. All right, so Taylor. Imagine if I bought Bitcoin, dude. I'd be rich tomorrow. We're, we're, <laughs> hey, there's fundamentals behind real estate that you enjoy. All right. You notice we didn't do a lot of real estate talk on purpose with you, so, I did, so we didn't want to fight you. All right, so what um, – we Luke, you asked this question. Explain why I'm asking this next question because we do this. Uh, we do this on a weekly basis with our team. Yeah. So why don't you ask the question? For, well, I'll ask it. Uh, what are two words you hope people uh, would describe you as, Taylor? Uh, we 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 do this with all of our team members, uh, and we put them on the spot, literally in front of our whole company. Uh, I think it just we it gets to uh, it allows us to know what's important to you, Taylor. And then it's also like usually one of the two uh, words to describe yourself is something that you are right now. And the other one, sometimes it's a it's something that you're striving to be. So it's kind of interesting to see. So uh, two words that you hope other people see you as. Yeah. So these are the first two that popped in my head. So genuine and tenacious. Those are good ones. Those are great ones. Those are great ones. Yeah. yeah. So we do an employee uh, spotlight because, you know, we got. 40 whatever team members and you know once a week we have our meeting all together and like yeah one person talks about you know they do a show and tell or whatever and we ask them to you know in front of everybody to say the two words it's always interesting but those are good ones well i think you're both of those taylor so whatever that and for whatever that's worth and oh you said on both those things so yeah, listen i, I got you so. i got you fooled i got yeah. you fooled yeah I, he fooled me the first couple of times but now i know he's now just you know. a big old dweeb all, all right. right so um <laughs> what is the single thing that you're most proud of uh when you think about your life so far Not your six-month-old. We know that. Yes. I, I know, man. Like, <laughs> thought yet. immediately goes to like my wife, my family, my this, my that. That's not a bad one. If that's no, you know what, and, and that is it. But I think, um, on top of the wife, the family, things, and that, one of the things I've done is, um, here I'm just patting myself all over the back right now. One of the things I've done is created like an amazing network of friends. Mm -hmm. uh, like, and 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 y'all get grouped in that. But even like my closest friends. Everyone else comes around and like they hang out with us, this and that. And they're like, dude, you have an amazing group of friends. Like just fun people, fun love and genuine people, some tenacious people yeah. in there. But uh, in reality, like it doesn't matter your social economic. Like some of my friends are loaded. Some of my friends are, are poor. And like it doesn't matter. That doesn't make any difference. It's uh, genuine people that like love each other, like hanging out, like shooting the shit, like being laid back, having fun. Yeah, I, I think like that's it. an ASAP Rocky line. Uh, my rich friends and my poor friends get along. So, there you uh, go. Yeah. I like it. ASAP, ASAP, uh, ASAP Taylor. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right, great. All right, so now we got a couple would-you-rathers we're all going to answer, and then we'll get you out of here in about eight minutes and plenty of time. All right, so I'll ask, uh, I'll ask Taylor this one first. We're yeah. playing would-you-rather. All right, Lucas, you answer too, and I'll answer as well. So, Taylor, would you rather live in a house covered in floral wallpaper or brightly colored wall paint? So you're living in a house with floral wallpaper everywhere or a bunch of yellow and green wallpaper? Oh, dude, give me the floral wallpaper. At least break it up. 
Yeah. What do you think about that, Lucas? I, I cannot live with floral wallpaper. It just feels too old and dingy. So you're gonna to have me. these. Li- like I'm gonna these have. Lime I'm gonna go walls. bright. I can wear those cool sunglasses like you got all day and just, uh, yeah, just full of energy. So by the way, my mentality when when you asked that also must have blended the two because I was thinking not like that old school seventy nasty like dingy burnt orange i was thinking like uh, bright pink flowers with green line green lining like that was where my mind went no you're like all like your collar color inside of your collar straight walls or floral so, well, I'm not doing that. I'm doing floral walls that are this yeah. color. And yeah, you're doing both. Like- <laughs> yeah, he's doing both. What a psycho. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, what are uh, – oh, yeah. Luke, you can do the next one. What about you? What was uh, your answer? I'd probably do – I'd probably do the floral, like or my eyes right now hurt so bad, and they're like just water. I can't imagine looking at freaking neon wall right now. Hmm. I can't imagine <laughs> looking at you right now. I know. It looked cool, don't I? Yeah. All right. Next one. Would you rather wake up in the morning as a bird or a dolphin, Taylor? He's like, can he's I like, pick an I'm otter? An otter is where I would like to take this because that would be my best day is being an otter. But definitely a bird, I would say, over a dolphin. Dude, I'd be cruising around like an eagle way up high, seeing everything. Be yeah. awesome. Yeah, be sick. What about you, Lucas? Well, I think I'm going to go dolphin. They are the only. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I know where you're going with this, too. Either, either other animal or other mammal that uh, has sex for fun. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> so, so that, that sex is an important part of your life, Lucas. Hell yeah, it is. Ashley, are you listening? <laughs> Um, and they're super smart, right? And yeah, they can, like, kill can, sharks this, and stuff. This and, is a good yeah. one because dolphins are, like, the most dangerous animals in the ocean because they're so smart. Um, and, yes, they they uh, they F for fun, which is a big fun uh, thing. I mean, but if I'm an e- if I'm an eagle, I can still do it for fun if I want, right? So I mean, maybe maybe an eagle. It, I guess I was going like when I hear bird, I'm thinking like a blue jay or a. But robin. like if I'm, I get where you're going with that. Dolphins, the water's amazing, um, and they're smart. But like if I'm a bird, I'm like using my brain, so I'm still gonna take my wife bird and do that still so yeah i mean you're do just birds a, do that yeah just or though they just go on eggs very animalistic approach right that's what a bird is like they don't know anything else besides like just flying yeah, eating and, and no. uh yeah my, that other thing my answer was an eagle you know what eagles do they they catch each other in the air and grapple and they fall all the way to the ground then they do it no. there you go Ooh, that's how, hey that's how is that how you guys it, do it? that's how i do it too. yeah that's how it me works and, in me my and Courtney house just grapple yeah. and go to the ground okay yeah. all right last question um someone is about to take over the world would you rather it be aliens or robots uh robots aliens they scare me they weird me out and i don't know where you're coming from we can train the robots i think so the aliens <laughs> they come down i don't know what to think man the robots is going to happen. <laughs> so we better get used to it. <laughs> Figure that part out. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Robots, so, that's why. I don't know. Aliens would be so interesting, though. Yeah, like we always talk about this, like what does an alien look like? Yeah. We have this idea, yeah, but it's probably just like this blob of organisms on Yeah, the we're like there's no way they're, the, the odds of them being like carbon-based like us, like are they really small or our size or really big or you know what I mean? Like you have no idea what else is out there. So – I mean, honestly, if they take over the world, either way, we're fucked. We're screwed. So I think yeah. it'd be interesting to see what aliens would do with it. Would because do to I us. know robots are going to do. They're going to, like, you know. They're metal. Yeah. More than they're going to do our shit for us. That's what they're going to do. Well, yeah. not if they're taking over. We're saying they're, like, they're, like, the bosses. They're, like, running the world. So I, Yeah. I feel like in order to, you know, 
prevent the aliens from continuing to rule us, we'd have right. to like kill them all, right? Yeah. But the robots, I feel like we could train them or hack into their infrastructure and train them to work for us. They're smarter than us. Yes, they are. Dude, yeah. Sam's a tech genius. He can definitely hack yeah, into the backup. I can figure end. it out. Yeah, for Go sure. Go to SamChat. What is it? SamChat.io. <laughs> it's an AI chatbot uh, with my brain in it. You are. SamChat.io. Oh, God. I'm going to get over there. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Just, yeah, SamChat. Yeah, you should, you should like mess with it, Taylor. Yeah. Like, oh. Why is why are stocks better in real estate or something like that? That'd be yeah, funny. Samchat.io. <laughs> it's a legitimate site that's yeah. uh, we uh, that has uh, all of our YouTube videos subscribed. We're through OpenAI, and any question anybody asks, they get our, our answers on. So uh, Dude, yeah, we, I, I am a love tech it. genius. I am tech genius. All right, perfect. So we're getting ready to roll out of here. So what's going to happen now is I guess you'll be able to see us, maybe, maybe not. But we are getting ready. You might be able to see us. We're getting ready to throw our outlines in the trash can. Um, I believe I'm ahead of you one time, right? You are. Yeah. I'm ahead, Lucas, You're by one. one. So we, we unwind. We go back there. So it's like a free throw length. So Tay-Tay, um, we'll let you announce. Uh, we'll do the shot, then we'll roll out. It was good chat with you, man. Appreciate it. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you because you have a legitimate um, you know, uh, a financial planning service, what's the best? place to reach out to is that instagram or why don't you plug it for a quick here a second yeah Give go to instagram plug. it's easiest way to easiest way to see a little bit about what we're about taylor at life goal investments life, man taylor type in taylor sons or life goal investment and do it all right so you can do luke's going to shoot first so he's the college basketball player but i'm beating him in this right now I hit the rim and it, it trickled in. Rim job. Looks all about rim job. All right, here we go. Watch this, Luke. Ready? All right, Luke. here goes Sam. Are you looking at me, Lucas? Ready? Sam closed his eyes to try to be cool and missed it, but with his eyes open, I don't think it would even help him the way they look right now. He got cocky. He, he got cocky. Get, he tried to Jordan it. All right, thanks, Taylor. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Taylor, appreciate you today, man. Take it easy, brother. Good luck on your next call. All right, man. Yep, see ya. From our conversation. If you love what you learn, make sure you like, rate, review the show, and help us spread the word by telling a friend. If you'd like to learn more about working with me inside one of my programs, we'll have those links in the show notes along with all our social media handles so you connect with us there for free. If there's a real estate question you'd like us to answer, feel free to send us a message and we'll cover it in an upcoming show.